0: Uh, in front of you. So I realize that in uh, our church family that many of us come from different places. Ethnically speaking, uh, one of the things I I truly love about this congregation is its diversity. People from all across the world. But we also come from different places spiritually speaking. Indeed, some of us come from a background where we we knew nothing of Christ then grew up in a home where our parents were Christians or the Bible was open some of us in the congregation might call ourselves skeptics maybe even agnostics you're really not sure what to make of Christianity and who Jesus is and if that is you can I say we're really glad that you're here We hope that as a church family, you'll find us a safe place where you can come with your genuine questions and perhaps your real doubts. And and if you ever want to, to explore more about Christianity, please do speak to Harrison or myself or to anyone who belongs to this church. We would love to point you in the right direction to Jesus. Others of us have grown up in Christian homes with Christian upbringings, but we haven't yet professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So so we may have a lot of head knowledge about who Jesus is, but we haven't made a commitment to him. Well, in the passage before us this morning, Jesus issues an invitation. Come and see. Come and discover who I am. One of the things we will see in this passage is that Jesus... Knows all of us. He knows you. Mm, Knows you better than you know yourself. But the question is, do you know him? I don't mean do you know about him. Do you know him? Jesus himself said, this is eternal life, that you know the one and true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. To know Jesus is to possess life. Life in its abundance. Life in its fullness. To know Jesus is to have your life changed. And to have your life in the process of being changed. And then, in this congregation, so you've got those who are agnostic, skeptics, those who are Grown up in church, but aren't yet Christians, but you've also got people, probably the majority, who are Christians. Now, we probably all came from different places to how God worked in our life to bring Him himself. Some of us have got colorful stories but our past. Others of us have got just a simple testimony. I don't recall a moment where I did not know, love, believe Jesus. And praise God for testimonies like that. But, but those of us who are Christians, we're all in different places. Some of, some of us are young in the faith. Babes in Christ. We've got a fresh love for Him. And yet there's others of us who are way on in years with Christ, journeying for many years, mature in Christ perhaps. But there's something true of all of us. We're all struggling. Struggling with the reality of sin. Is struggling to, to live out our Christian call. Well, Jesus issues this exact same invitation to you. Come. Come and see afresh who I am. Come and let your hearts and minds be stretched. Come and discover who He is once again you remember we've highlighted in our early sermons that john's gospel was written that we might know who jesus is that he is the christ the son of god and that in believing in this we have life as we've been working our way through chapter one uh, we've uh, been introduced to who jesus is the prologue john the author gives us this breathtaking Beginning with these stunning claims about who Jesus is. He is the one who was in the beginning. He was with the Father. He was God. He was the Word made flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then last time we're looking at the testimony of John the Baptist. He said, I am not the Christ. He's the Christ. The one who he saw the Spirit come down upon and remain. He pointed us to Jesus. He bore witness to Jesus. And I said last time, John understands that some of us will struggle to just accept the stunning claims he makes. And so what he does is he brings witness after witness before us and says, Look, all of their testimonies add up. All of their eyewitness testimonies corroborate, check out with each other. Well, as we come to this final section of chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, we're going to be introduced to some more witnesses. More witnesses who are going to test who Jesus is. More witnesses for us to check out, does their claims match up with what we've already heard? And so as we listen, as we come and as we see, let's discover who Jesus is. And normally when I preach a sermon, I've got headings this morning. There's no headings. We're just going to walk through this section, verse by verse. So let's pick things up in verse 35. The next day, so we're in the first week of Jesus' public ministry. This is the third day. We've already had two days, third day. Then he says, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, who's he's been spoken of here. John the Baptist, again, is in the same place he was standing on the day previously by the banks of the River Jordan. And notice that he's with two of his disciples. You know that before Jesus had a band of disciples, John the Baptist had a band of disciples. And on this day, he was with two of them. We're going to be introduced to them in just a moment. And we read in verse 36, and he looked. Now, if you are listening at the reading, and if you're going to listen in the sermon, listen out for how many times we hear, look, behold, see. Right? It's just nearly every verse. See, when it says here, John the Baptist looked at Jesus, it means he looked at him with intent. He looked at him with understanding. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. Now, why did he look at Jesus with intent and understanding? Because remember, he he knew who Jesus was. He was the one whom... When the heavens were opened and the spirit came down like a dove, the spirit rested on him and remained. And God had said to John, this is the Messiah. And so the picture of these men are standing by the banks of the river Jordan. John Baptist and his two disciples. And he sees Jesus, not walking towards him, but walking by him. Every journey Jesus takes in John's gospel is never accidental. It is always very intentional. Jesus walked by and John said, Behold! Literally, guys, look! Lift up your eyes, look at him! Behold the Lamb of God! Now we unpacked last week what the Lamb of God meant. John Cried, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John was saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament has been pointing to. From Genesis 22, Abraham and Isaac, where is the Lamb? The Lord will provide the Lamb. Exodus 12, the Passover Lamb, the one who takes, who covers his people so that they don't face God's judgment. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Levitical sacrificial system where lambs were offered. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. John the Baptist says to his disciples, guys, lift up your eyes. Here's the one who will take away the sins of the world. Now, That's the first testimony in this passage regarding Jesus. And by the way, it checks out with what John the Baptist had said in the day previously. He doesn't change his testimony. He preaches the same message. Behold the Lamb. Little question for you. Why didn't John say something like... Behold the one who can baptize with the Holy Spirit. Behold the Messiah. Behold the Son of God. Why does he say behold the Lamb of God? If you're to come into a relationship with Jesus, you need him to address your greatest problem, your sin. Look at the one who can address your greatest problem, Now, in response to John's testimony, we read in verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. So so you know what happens here? We transition away from the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist to now focusing our attention to the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For a little while, John the Baptist is going to fade into the background. He'll come up again in later chapters, but we're now going to be giving our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it all happens in this action where John's disciples leave him to follow the one he's been pointing to. John the Baptist decreases that Christ Jesus might increase. Now what is said next is is rather remarkable. So picture the scene, right? Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus walking by. John's two disciples follow Jesus. Verse 38. Jesus turned. So as they turn away from John the Baptist, and they turn to follow Jesus, Jesus now turns. And he saw them following. Now, see the word turn there? You could circle it if you want, underline it. See in the Gospels? That turned doesn't just speak about a physical turning. It speaks about much more than that. Every time it's used of Jesus in the Gospels is a change in attitude. And he'll always say something pointed or unexpected straight after we read he turned. So Matthew chapter 16 verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Luke chapter 7 verse 44. Jesus turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into you, your house. And in essence, you gave me nothing, but she gave me everything. Now Jesus turns and he sees, he looks at these disciples who are following them. And by the way, you could circle this next statement because these are the first words of Jesus recorded for us in John's gospel. Here's the first words of Jesus in his public ministry recorded for us here in John's gospel. And it's a question and it's not one we're expecting. He says to his disciples, What are you seeking? Now now John the Baptist has been fulfilling his call. Bearing witness to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. They heed it. They follow him. Now Jesus turns to them. And he says to them. What are you seeking? It's not what you expect. It's a pointed. Direct. Perhaps difficult question. Maybe one of the most profound and penetrating questions we could meditate upon. Here's a question for you. What are you seeking? Question for me, what am I seeking in life? What do we want from life? What are we living for? It's interesting, just, just, just as a note. At the beginning of the Bible, God enters the Garden of Eden with a question. Where are you? One of the most amazing things about God is he loves to ask questions of us. Jesus asks throughout the Gospels, he asks many people, what is it you want me to do for you? Have you ever asked yourself that? What is it you want from Jesus? Now, as I've been studying this, this has been a real head-scratcher for me. Because the disciples' response is <laughs> it's just not what you expect. He says, what do you want? Where are you seeking? Look at the response. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? <laughs> like, so I've been trying to figure out, like, like, do they kind of avoid the question? You know that type, you know, you know what, you have those experiences, right? Someone asks you a really direct and difficult question and you kind of, <clears throat> um, um, and you subtly, like, try and shift the the topic of the conversation. So tell me about yourself. You, you don't want to answer it. And initially, that's what I thought. What the disciples were doing here. They, they said, "Jesus, where are you staying? Where's your travel lodge? Where's your new man's?" But actually, I think the question makes perfect sense. Notice they call him Rabbi. They're following Jesus in the first century to be a disciple, to be a learner, a follower, you would literally, literally walk alongside your rabbi, your mentor, your teacher. You would live with them. You would do life with them. It's how you learn from them. Jesus, where are you staying? In other words, Jesus, we're seeking you. We want to be with you. We want to learn from you. This was their heart's desire. So what do we read? Next verse. So they came and saw where he was staying. They saw the travel lords. They saw the new man's. And they stayed with him that day. Now, interestingly, the word that's translated here, staying, is the same verb that's used for, a, for remain or abide. John, In John chapter 15, we're going to hear that language again and again. Remain in me, abide in me, I in you. May my words abide in you. Jesus, as he invites these disciples, it's to come and see so that they would stay with him and remain with him. Now, I've missed the big invitation. Verse 39, he said to them, come and you'll see. Jesus' invitation is, if you, if you want to know, if you want to spend time with me, my door's open. Come. Come round. Let's, let's go home. Let's, let's have a meal. Come come, and you'll see who I am. Now, we're turning we're on a little detail there in verse 39. It was about the 10th hour. That's residue from an eyewitness. This guy never forgot meeting Jesus. Getting an invite to Jesus' house. I know it was about the 10th hour. Why might he record that? Because this was a life-changing moment. He'd gone to being pointed to Jesus, hearing about Jesus, and now Jesus says, come, and you'll see who I am. And he came, and he saw. And just to set this up, we're going to be told one of the names of the disciples, Andrew but the other one remains unnamed. And so the whole question is, who's the unnamed disciple? And if you know anything, John, the author of this gospel is throughout this gospel, he'll never refer to himself. Apart from maybe a phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so we believe the, the other disciple is John the author. So verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. <laughs> Just a little aside, I'm named after this guy. One of my, my awful childhood memories is in the community I grew up, uh, we used to have this like community day where kids in the local school were picked to be part of like a community fair where you were either page boy or you could be the king or the queen and it was like, it was like the thing that everybody wanted to be part of. And the year I got picked to be a page boy, You had to decorate your home and everybody decorated their homes with Disney and my mum decorated our home with Andrew. So she put a fishing boat in the garden. She had a little sign that pointed to Peter because he first brought Peter. There were loaves and fishes, because Andrew was the one who brought the little boy to Jesus. No one in my community understood (laughs) what our garden was about. I'm left scarred by that, right? But my mum, her prayer for me was that I would point people to Jesus and bring people to Jesus. So let's read about what Andrew does. They followed Andrew. Simon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Interestingly, John assumes that we know who Simon Peter is because in the history of the church, he's the most, one of the most famous leaders of the church. Andrew was in the background. He, 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 he's not the upfront leader. So he's, he's, he's gone with John to Jesus' home. He's discovered more about Jesus as they've shared a meal at the tenth hour, four o'clock during the day into the night. And the first thing after that happens, verse 40 says, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. So picture Andrew. He runs from Jesus' house. He looks for his brother. He bounces up to him, exclaiming, We've found the Messiah. we found him. He's just so desperate for his brother Simon to come and know Jesus. By the way, here's witness number two. We have found the Messiah. That's what everybody else has been saying in John's Gospel. John the Baptist has been saying it. Now Andrew, from his own encounter with Jesus, he's saying... Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long-promised, long-anticipated saviour of the world. Now, Andrew's words here aren't sophisticated, just plain and simple. His instinctive thing in encountering Jesus after being with him is to go and tell. Now, what happens next is fascinating. We He brought him to Jesus. Then he grabbed him by the hand and he says, you need to come and see him. He brought him to Jesus. And verse 42 says, Jesus looked. Now, that word look is the exact "looked" is the same word that John the Baptist. He looked at Jesus with understanding, with intent. Jesus looked at Simon. And the idea is here, he understood him. He saw through him. He knew him. Better than he knew himself. And so Jesus says to Simon Peter. So you're Simon son of John. I know who you are. You shall be called Cephas. Which means Peter. Which means rock. And if you know anything about Simon in the gospels. He's anything far removed from being like a rock. Strong and stable. Peter is one of the most flaky guys you meet. He says one thing and then does another thing. Jesus, I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. Even if all of them, even if all the other disciples will, I never will. What does Peter do? Denies Jesus three times. Can't even stay awake for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in his hour of need. He speaks before he engages his mind. He always puts his foot in it. And here Jesus Jesus encounters Peter and he changes Peter. You know if in the Old Testament God often changed the name of people? Jacob, which meant deceiver, and that was his character, he changed his name to Israel. Here Jesus is saying he's got authority over people's lives because he's in the business of changing people. He not only saw through Peter, he saw what could become of Peter. He would become a rock. In Acts chapter 2, Peter would be the one who would boldly proclaim the gospel. Peter would become one of the significant leaders of the early church. Now, if you're listening on right and you're a Christian, this gives us great hope. Because I think I suspect that most of us as Christians, we struggle with our growth as Christians. We struggle with our battles of sin. We make the same mistakes that Peter did. We see so much of ourselves in Peter. Well, here's the thing. Jesus saw Peter for who he was. He saw his character. And yet he also knew his destiny. Jesus sees you for who you are. And he sees you for who you'll become. And the thing about sanctification is that it's not instant results. It's a slow process. You know, I point to Acts chapter 2. But the, the story doesn't just get glorious for Peter after that. We were studying Galatians recently with Harrison. Remember, Peter was the hypocrite. He still had his failings and his shortcomings. But Jesus was still mightily and powerfully at work in him and through him. So now let's look at day two. And let's move a lot quicker. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Just as, a, just as a side, I said, many of us who are Christians here, we've all, interestingly, the, two, the first two disciples of Jesus came by John the Baptist's witness. Peter came as a result of his brother's witness. You know how Philip became a Christian? Because Jesus found him. Because Jesus found him. That's not to say that Jesus was passive in the previous. He used human means to bring them to himself. But here Jesus found Philip because Jesus is the seeking Savior who came to seek and save that which is lost. He found Philip and said to him, follow me, come one of on my disciples, come and learn from me. Now, now we read about Philip. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So he's probably a fisherman, comes from Bethsaida, he knows Andrew and Peter. And what's Philip's instinctive response having found having, Jesus having found him? His instinctive response is to go and tell a friend. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Now, he speaks to Nathaniel in a more, you could argue, educated way or just, just in a more informed way. It's like I, Philip's more learned than Andrew was, perhaps or Nathaniel is someone who's learned and so he says to him, by the way, you know the scriptures, we found the guy that the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to and Nathaniel hears his friend say this, he says just say again, who is it? Jesus of Nazareth son of Joseph (laughs) run that by me one more time You found the Messiah, the one of whom the Old Testament prophets and the laws... Who? Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Now, in Nathanael, we meet a skeptic. In Nathanael, we meet a, a genuine doubter. His response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now if he was a diligent student of the Old Testament scriptures, Nathaniel knew this about the Messiah. He's gonna come, he's gonna conquer, he's gonna establish peace and righteousness, he's gonna overthrow oppressors. And here's, here's Philip telling me he's from Nazareth. In other words, he's a country bumpkin from a nowhere town full of nobodies. He's not from London. Now he's, I won't mention a place. <laughs> he's from a place that no one would be proud from being from. And by the way, his dad wasn't university educated. Now he's a son of Joseph, the carpenter. Now, let's be fair to Nathaniel. That's a genuine question. You're telling me you found the Messiah. And you're saying he's from Nazareth. You're saying he's the son of Joseph. How can you expect, how can you expect me to believe that? Now, Philip isn't a brilliant apologist in the sense that he's got an arsenal of answers up his sleeve to say like, let me tell you, let's go through this. Let's go toe to toe Nathaniel. I'll show you how Jesus is the Messiah. No, he says what Jesus said to the two disciples. Come and see. He takes Nathaniel by the arm and he says, come, come, let's see Jesus. And so, and by the way, if you're a skeptic, can I just point this out? Nathaniel did not let his skepticism prevent him from coming to see Jesus. Coming to learn more about Jesus. Jesus saw, and this is verse 47, saw Nathaniel coming towards him. Now, the word saw there, he saw straight through Nathaniel. He saw who he was. And he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, quick word on Nathaniel. I won't linger here. Jesus says to Nathaniel, You are a true Israelite. And in you there is no deceit. Now, we just sang Psalm 32. Do you know where that line comes from? In, you, in whom there is no deceit? Verse, stanza 1 of Psalm 32. So it's not saying that Nathaniel wasn't a sinner. It's saying that Nathaniel was a godly, devout, saved israelite who regularly confessed his sins see if you confess your sins from god's perspective there's no deceit in you you're open and you're honest now nathaniel hears this statement and he responds by saying how do you know me it's like jesus put his finger on a nerve in this statement it's like jesus you know me how do you know me now What Jesus says next is, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And and it's clear that this is supernatural knowledge. It's not that you just saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. It's that Jesus, he knew what was going on. He didn't just know his physical location. He knew his spiritual location. The commentators debate it. Maybe Nathaniel was under the tree reading the scriptures and Jesus saw him. And only, and because of that, they conclude that's how Jesus knew him and that's how Nathaniel was so stunned. What if it was this? Nathaniel was under the tree, yeah, reading the scriptures, but he was confessing his sin. The sin that he kept hidden from everyone else. The sin that no one else knew about. And Jesus says, and there is no deceit in you. Jesus knows you and he knows your sin and he sees straight through you and he'll put his finger on the nerve if you'll just come and see him. Nathaniel's response, right? The skeptic goes from being a skeptic to a believer. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Here's further witness as to who Jesus is and it all checks out. Everyone's saying he's the son of God. Everyone's saying he's the long-promised Messiah here's nathaniel he comes and he sees and that is what he discovers now jesus responds to him isn't a criticism it's actually a promise because i said to you i saw you under the fig tree do you believe well guess what nathaniel you will see greater things than these and as we get to verse 51 here's jesus's own witness about himself and he said to him truly truly i say to you no one else ever says truly truly Nowhere in recorded history does anyone else say truly, truly. You'll only find Jew, the only Jew who said truly, truly was Jesus in the Gospels. This is the Word speaking the Word of the Lord. I say to you, you'll see heaven opened, the angels of God descending and ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus takes that passage from Genesis chapter 28, perhaps that's what Nathaniel was reading when he was under the tree, and he says, That dream is a reality in me. I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. I'm the one who is the son of man, Daniel 7. Truly, truly, you see me, you see heaven opened. Jesus' witness about himself checks out with what John said, that Jesus came to reveal the Father. Checks out with what John said, he came to make his dwelling among men, So as we wrap this up, can I I challenge all of us? Come and see who Jesus is. He knows you better than you know yourself. The question is, do you know him? And, and, And if you've asked yourself this morning that question, what are you seeking? Can I tell you something about him? He's seeking you. Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and save that which is lost. Question is, will you come to him? Will you come and will you open up your life to him? Will you come and give him sin and he'll bear them away? Will you come and let him be king of your life? Will you come and confess him, son of God? I began this sermon by saying one of the beautiful things about this congregation is its diversity. One of the beautiful things about this congregation is that we all come from different places Ethnically speaking spiritually speaking You know the best thing about this church Is we come every Sunday To see Jesus Hallelujah What a saviour let's pray Jesus, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in and through your word. You are the living word. You're the word made flesh. And so Jesus, help us to respond to your invitation to come and see you for who you are. And we go from here We pray that we would be like Andrew and Philip. May it be our instinctive response, not to give people apologetic debates, go toe-to-toe, but even just challenge people to come and see you in your word for themselves. We pray this in your precious and powerful name. Amen.